you guys can do me a favor and turn to Colossians chapter 1. As I said in the announcements this morning, we're going to take a pause from the book of Acts for four weeks. And we're going to focus our attention on the rhythms of the church. Now, there are many rhythms throughout history the church has implemented, but today we're going to focus on, on, on one, and it's called to know God. Colossians chapter 1 will be in verses 19 to 14. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew back in front of you. That is our gift to you. You can take it, read it, study it, mark it up. It's your Bible if you, if you need it. Turn to page 983. We're taking a pause because we want to reorient our minds and our hearts to the basic principles, the basic rhythms in our life, right? Like... We, we all have rhythms in life. We, we have um, things that we do automatically, right, in our life um, that help us function, that, that promote good behavior, right? Like, like, and typically that happens in the fall. Um, how many of you here love the fall? Say amen. Okay. How many of you do not like the fall? I'm talking about the weather, the season. How many of you do not like um, fall? Say amen. Amen. Okay, I'm with you. Here's why, here's why I think the people who like the fall are weird, right? Because this is what they say. Oh, the colors are changing and they're so pretty. We're going, we're going to go apple picking and make apple cider. We're going to go to a pumpkin patch and pick out pumpkins. We're going to decorate the house. Oh, pumpkin spice lattes. We get to drink them every week, right? Like, yeah, we'll spend $8 on it. It's okay. It, but it tastes so good. You know, 15 grams of sugar, but it's okay. I think that's weird. You know why? Here's why. You guys love the colors. You like the fall, the weather. You know why I don't like the fall? Because everything is dying. That's why I don't, like when you guys are excited about the tree or it's changing colors, I'm thinking you are enjoying that the fact the tree is dying right before your eyes, like it's dying, the leaves are falling off, and then you guys get excited about it, but I'm thinking winter's coming. Like it's all around the corner because in Northeast Ohio, right, like we get fall for two months and the rest of the year is winter. <laughs> 56 inches of snow, here it comes, like, we enjoy 90 days of cloudy, cloudy weather. That's great for our mental health. <laughs> right? Like, you guys, I mean, I'm just like, give me the summer. I've either sweat in the sun. Thank you. I've either sweat in the sun than watch trees die and pick out apples and drink pumpkin spice, spice latte. No fat, no whip, no foam, you know, you know all that stuff. But, but in the fall, typically, right, like in the fall, people start new rhythms. Um, people start new things. Everybody's back from vacation. People are coming back. They're coming home. Kids are going back to school. They're starting new grades, like in particularly in high school, like the middle schoolers now are in eighth grade. They go into high school, and they're still a little weird, so they have to navigate like high school. Like you have to act cool because people are going to think you're weird. They're learning new rhythms, right? Um, college students are learning like mom and dad cannot do everything for you. You have to wake up and go to class, right? Um, they have to figure out what classes they're going to take. They have to figure out what degree they're going to take, or if they're not gonna to go to school, they have to figure out what job they're going to get because in our house, you gotta work or go to school, right? 
Okay, I'm concerned about that. Um, <laughs> come on now. Um, right, so everyone starts new rhythms in the fall. And, and what we want to do is my hope and desire for you is that you will build healthy rhythms in your life. And, and the science says it all the time, right? When we have healthy rhythms, rhythms are just patterns, things that we often do, things that become routine, things that are automatic to us, right? Like that help us function. These rhythms are healthy not only for our mind, our heart, but are, are good for our body, right? Like think of like fitness routines, workouts, going to the gym, right? That, all those rhythms are good for us, and science says that that's beneficial for us. It's vital for us to have healthy rhythms. When we're not in healthy rhythms, we're out of balance. We're not in balance, right? We're, we're out of it, and, and that can be harmful for us. The reason why we have rhythms, because rhythms inform our behavior. Rhythms inform our direction. They keep us guarded and grounded in the things that are most important to us, things that we value, right? A healthy rhythm is to go to bed on time so you can wake up in the morning to go to work or go to school, or if you're tired, to hang out. You enjoyed it. That's, that's, that's what you get to do. Healthy rhythms help us mentally, emotionally, and physically. But there are also spiritual rhythms, and I would venture to say that there are spiritual rhythms that are healthy for us to keep us balanced, to keep us in tune with God, to keep us in tune with his spirit. There, there are spiritual rhythms in our everyday walk. There are spiritual habits in our everyday work Work, um, life that lead us to right decisions, or the Bible is going to argue completely like healthy, healthy rhythms, spiritual rhythms lead to godly actions that lead to godly decisions, right? Spiritual rhythms lead to godly decisions and godly actions that are in tune with, with Jesus. And for what purpose? To draw us closer to him. The title of today's sermon is To Know God. And here, here, here's the objective. The objective is for this morning is that you would know him deeper. But, but not just know him intellectually. The world knows Jesus. In fact, Satan and his demons, they know Jesus. They know who God is. But... They don't really know him. Right? Like, I think oftentimes, I believe that this is God's word. It's inspired. It is good for teaching, reproof, and correction. This is God's word. And we read it. We study it to hear from him, to know him. But listen, this is not the end-all, be-all to your relationship with Jesus. Meaning is that your relationship with Jesus doesn't start or begin with just reading the words on the page. Your relationship with Jesus is an intimate connection with the person of Jesus Christ that helps you grow deeper with him. Does that make sense? Right? Like, like 
Your relationship to know God is a relationship that's intimately connected with him. Think of a marriage. Think of of a man and a woman who come together, the mingling of the souls where they know each other in great detail. They know the deepest, darkest secret. They know what hurts them. They know what what gives them life, what strengthens them. Like that is, is an intimate relationship that no one else has. That is the same thing with us and God. But it has to grow deeper, right? So the way it grows deeper is reading God's word, but it can't end there. Reading God's word has to lead you to him, the person, the relationship with him. It's not an intellectual knowledge, right? And what Paul's going to argue in 1 Colossians It's a prayer that he's going to make for the church, and it's our prayer. It's our staff's prayer. It should be your prayer for your loved ones. It should be your prayer for yourself that they will know God, know him intimately, but him, know him, not just the words on the page. We often can quote scripture, right? But if it's just memorizing the words and it means nothing to you, then the the words don't matter, right? Like if you can quote, in the beginning was the word and the word was, was with God. Like if you can quote that and it doesn't mean anything to you, then it has no value to you. But when you have a connection with the spirit of the living God, when you know him intimately, when you say in the beginning was the word, your heart and your affections begin to stir and it draws you closer to him because you know that in the beginning before the world was created, it was him. Right? Or like when you read Lamentations 3, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every day. Great is his faithfulness. Oh God, I will put my hope in him. You can say those words not as an intellectual practice, but as a means to stir your affections to the living God. But if you just read it, to read it, to study it, there are people, listen, scholars study the Bible. They know it in and out, but many of them do not have a connection with him. This is what happened to me in seminary. When I went to seminary, you get into class and, you know, seminary's postgraduate degree with a bunch of guys who want to be pastors or missionaries or church directors and and sometimes we're in that class and we want to show that we know God's word and we're quoting this and we're quoting that and it's just an intellectual process. It's an exercise, but it means nothing to us unless you know him. Unless you have a deep-seated connection with him where you love him and care for him, that you want to be with him day in and day out, that, that like life has no meaning if you don't have him, if you don't pursue him, if you don't follow after him. That is to know God, not to just know his word, because people know his word, But the word stirs in us a deep-seated relationship with him that cannot be broken, that cannot be severed, a relationship with him that no matter what the problems come, no matter what the obstacles are, that your connection with the person of Jesus is so strong that nothing can break it. It has to go deeper. So so we're going to read first first chapter of Colossians, and like I said, Paul's going to show us how to know God. 
He's going to show us the benefit of knowing God. So we start at verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Who's the we? It's Paul and Timothy. Paul is writing this letter to the church in Colossae, and it's him and Timothy, um, and, and he's writing to them, and he, and he says, this is my prayer for you. This is our prayer. This is what me and Timothy are praying for, that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? Why does he want them to be filled with all spiritual wisdom and understanding? Look at verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. What does that look like? Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power. Notice how he says all power. Not some, not a little bit, not this type of power, not that type of power, all power. Whose power? His power. Right? Right? Whose power? According to his glorious might. God's power, God's strength, God's ability. So that what? So for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Verse 13. This is my favorite part of the verse, but we're not just preaching these two verses, but maybe one day I'll preach verse 13. I'll give you fire and brimstone on it because I love it so much. I, just think of the picture. When I read it, just think of the picture of what he's actually doing, right? That Paul is so descriptive when he says, he has delivered us from what? The domain. What does that mean under the power and authority of darkness and what transferred? He's pulled us out and put us where? Into the kingdom of his beloved son. Notice how, I'll talk about that later. I can't go into that verse, right? Like verse 14, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sin. At first glance, when we read this passage, you might be tempted to think that to know God, all you have to do is to have an intellectual concept of who he is. I don't think that's what Paul's talking about here. I, in fact, I think there's, there's a difference in knowing about God and knowing God. I think Oftentimes, people think that they know God because they intellectually understand who he is. They can quote to you every attribute of God. They know the Greek and the Hebrew languages of God. And they, they, know, they know like what God has done throughout history. They can quote you scripture of what has God done for the people of Israel, what, what he did for the disciples and the apostles and the early church. They can, they can tell you all the intellectual facts about God. They can say, oh, God is good. But they don't know him. They don't know him intimately. I think people believe, and there are many people here in our church, right, who think that if they know intellectually about God, somehow, some way, they know him personally. And it's more than that. If you come here in this room and, and the depth of your, of your faith is limited to the sermon, right? Like, if, if you're going to qualify how you know God and you're going to say, well, I know God because I go to church and I listen to a 40-minute sermon, let me tell you something, your faith is this small. This is how deep your faith is. To know God is to live with him, be with him, abide in him, to study him, to be motivated by him, to seek him, pursue him, right? It's not just coming in and listening to a good sermon or an okay sermon. 
Right? Like, if, if you think to, to know God is to go to an ABF and be in an ABF for 45 year, years and never miss, and that's the extent of you knowing God, you are highly mistaken. To know God is to know Him. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm going to repeat it a thousand times in the sermon. To know God is to know Him. Not intellectually, but with your heart and in your mind and in your actions. Everything you do is for Him. You want to please Him. You want to honor Him. You want your feelings to be from him. When, even when you pray, you say, God, I don't want the words that come out of my mouth to be my words. Let it be your words. Because why? I want to honor you because I know you, right? Like, like when I study your word, Lord, I want to hear your voice. Why? So I can draw closer to you. Knowing God draws you closer to him. Not to a pastor. Not to a good Sunday school teacher. Not to a famous theologian or a famous pastor, because let me tell you, all of us will fail you. One day, I will fail you. But you know who will never fail you? Jesus. But you got to know him. Like, know, know him. So what's the benefit of knowing Jesus? Jesus. What's the benefit of just not knowing him intellectually, but to go deeper with him? Beyond just reading the words on the page, to grow in love with him. Even when you don't feel it. What are the benefits? Paul gives us a couple of benefits. Look at verse 9. To know God, the benefit of knowing God is that he gives us insight into his will for our life. And what Paul is speaking here is not a knowledge that is available, it's a knowledge that is available to God's people. It's it's to be dominated and controlled by the knowledge of his will. And it's not just like to know what am I going to wear today? Where am I going to go? And what job should I take? And how should I interview for this position? And like, it's more than just like knowing what God wants you to do every single day, but to know him, his will for you, it's, a, it's, it's the idea of knowing everything about him. It's insight to his character and his personality. It's more than, more than how he wants you to behave. It's understanding his salvific purpose for your life, for this world, for this community. And it's a knowledge that comes from him that fills you up. And what type of knowledge is this, right? This is just not informational. Look at how Paul describes the knowledge that fills us up. It's a knowledge that is given through, right, spiritual wisdom and understanding. What is spiritual wisdom? It's the proper application of that knowledge. It's, it's understanding and knowing, right, that, that what God has done and what God is doing is right and good for me. And it's to properly apply that in our everyday life. I think of Solomon, right? I, I want the wisdom from Solomon. You know what Solomon tells God? God says, I'll do whatever you want me to do. What do you need? What do you want? Solomon says, I want wisdom. 
I want your wisdom. And you know what God says? You know, because you haven't asked me for land, you haven't asked me for power, you haven't asked me for influence, you haven't asked me for protection, you haven't asked me for wealth, because you asked for the very thing that I wanted to give you, and you asked it for me, I'm, I'm going to give it to you. And not only that, not only am I going to give you the wisdom, I'm going to give you everything that you didn't ask for. That's how gracious God is, right? That he gives you everything that you need far above that you could ever imagine. That's the wisdom that's that being talked about here, right? A wisdom that comes from him and him alone. Spiritual wisdom. I don't want the intellect. I don't want the intellect of man. Let me tell you something, because man is dumb. You just got to turn the news for 30 minutes and say, what is going on? Like, what is happening in our world? Because these people, something's off. Something's off. You read, you, you see what's going on in our commu- community, you see what's going on in our nation, you see what's going on in the world, and you're like, what is going on? Who are these people? These are, these are our people? They, surely something's wrong. Surely something's wrong. Why? Because they don't have the spiritual wisdom that comes from God. You know why? They don't know him. They rejected him. That's what Romans says, right? They exchange the truth for a lie, though they know him. They know him intellectually. They see the stars in the sky. They see the planets. They see how God has created the systems of the world, and yet they still do not know him. Why? Because to know God is not to intellectually know him. To know God is to have a relationship with him that supersedes all the things that we see on earth. So the benefit of of knowing him, having a relationship with him, connected with him, our mind and our heart and our actions, connected to Jesus, the benefit is gives us insight to his will. What's the second benefit? Look at verse 10. The second benefit, and this is, this is beautiful. And, and you, you look at it and you say, wait a minute, like how is this a benefit? Because it doesn't really help me. No, the second benefit of knowing God, it pleases him. Imagine that, that all you had to do to make God happy All you had to do to bring God joy is to know him. You don't need to build a sacrifice. You don't need to earn anything. You don't need to do good works so that you can please him. All you have to do is know him. That is the easiest relationship you could ever be because not your wife or your husband can ever give you that satisfaction. One guy said it. (laughs) He's going to get spoken to afterwards. But that's the truth, right? That's the truth. The benefit of knowing him, it pleases him. And how does it please him? It pleases him that we then go do good works. We haven't earned salvation because of our good works. We don't do good works because somehow, way, we have an exchange with him. No, no. We do good works because we know him. That's what Paul's saying. Right? Like any good husband or any good spouse, any person who's in a relationship who deeply cares for the other person would do things for them, not because there's an exchange of of gifts or an exchange of something. They do it. Why? To bring them joy and happiness for who they are. That's the benefit of knowing God. And so often, we, we as believers somehow exchange that idea for a counterfeit God that somehow, some way, we seek after things that are not God in hopes to make him happy. I'm going to donate all this money 
because it's going to make God happy. No. You want to make God happy? Know him. Another benefit. As I kind of already alluded to, third benefit of knowing God, it helps us bear fruit. When we know God, we bear fruit. What Paul is telling us here in the second part in verse 10 is that people who are followers of Jesus, people who know him intimately, are going to bear fruit. I think of the passage, right, in John chapter 15. How do we know that we are his disciples? It's because we bear fruit. The benefit of knowing God, the benefit of being in an intimate relationship with him is that everything that we want to accomplish, every good deed that we try to accomplish, right, is a good thing for the glory of his son Jesus. The benefit of knowing God gives value to the things that we do. Why? Because we're not doing it for ourselves. We're doing it for him. The world does good deeds, but they do it for themselves. We do good deeds because of who we serve benefit of knowing God is that we bear fruit. And one of the ways we can bear fruit is being obedient to God. A faithful pursuit of God, an intimate relationship with God is seen by our obedience. When we give up our own agenda to pursue his plan, when we give up sacrificially our heart's desires, our time and energy to pursue him, God yields good fruit in us because we're conforming to him, conforming to his image. What's another benefit of knowing God, right? Like just not intellectually, right? We're not talking about just because I read my Bible, somehow I know him. I'm talking about a deep-seated relationship and pursuit of the one who loved us first. Another benefit of knowing him is that knowing God helps us endure life's challenges. Beyond of what God gives us, knowing him, think about that. Being in a relationship with him helps us endure life's challenges. When you think of the calamity and crisis of our culture, when you think about the hardships people have faced, Knowing him, being in favor, pursuit of him, helps us to endure. How does it help us? With great patience. That's what he says. Verse 11, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. When we know God, he gives us the strength. He gives us the power to endure. When we know God, when we're faced with difficulties, when we're faced with adversity, when we're tempted to run to counterfeit powers, influences, we know that we can go to him, and because we are in a relationship with him, he gives us the ability to endure. And like I said before, with all power, not some, all, meaning everything that God has access to we have access to as well. Why? His power, his strength is given to us through his spirit, through his power. And we do it with great patience. A patience that's long-suffering. A patience that 
that stirs in us a deep-seated conviction, right? A deep-seated conviction that God rules and reigns over all things and nothing falls out of his hand. And so when we look at the calamity and the crisis of our world, when we look at our own troubles and adversity, we know that God is in control of every moment, of every second of that happens to us. And because we know that, that gives us the ability and the strength to trust him even more, especially when we doubt. But that only happens when you know him. Not just the Bible verse. Not just I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Not just knowing that verse, but knowing him that is his strength, his power that helps us endure. So what should be our response? What should be our response to knowing this great and faithful sovereign God? Like, what should be our response? Paul tells us in verses 12 to 14, our response should be gratitude. We should be grateful. We shouldn't be walking around this world or this church doomed in gloom, angry or upset, bitter or frustrated. We should be walking in victory, walking encouraged. Why? Because he's doing all these things. It's not that we're doing it. He's doing it. To know God makes us grateful. To know him intimately in a relationship with him makes us grateful. What are we grateful for? We're grateful for God's salvation. That's what Paul says in verse 12. Think about it. We're grateful for what he has done for us. Like the, the beauty of knowing God, listen to me, the beauty of knowing God is powerful because here's why. The beauty of knowing him, it does two weird things. Right? When we're grateful, right? Like, it does two weird things. Knowing him and our pursuit of him is the only thing that will satisfy us day in and day out. When we pursue God, when we pursue him through his word, when we pursue him through prayer, when we pursue a relationship with Jesus that is deep-seated, he leaves us satisfied and at the same time, hungry for more. That's the beauty of knowing God. Because you know that he has saved you, because he has redeemed you, you pursue him, and somehow, some way, by his spirit, he leaves you satisfied, and by the end of the day, you want more of him. Why? Because he's the one that's doing all this. He's the one that's stirring your affections towards Jesus. He's the one that takes your affections in your heart and turns them into adoration, where you can say, God, I thank you for the salvation of my soul. I thank you for the forgiveness of my sins. And there's a peace that surpasses all understanding that guards your heart and mind to know that truth. What else should we be grateful for? We should be grateful that God is our deliverer. I think what Paul's pointing to in, in, in verse 13 is that God has delivered his people. And he uses these words in a way that remind us of the Exodus story, right? Where, where God led his people out of Egypt. He took them out of slavery, brought them into the wilderness so that they can go to the promised land. Like God is our deliverer. He has, and this is my, one of my favorite lines. I have like 50 favorite lines in the Bible. But one of my favorite lines, he's plucked us out of the muck and the mire. He has delivered you. That's why I love what Paul says, right? Like, he has taken, I mean, you know, I'm using my own 
interpretive way of saying it, but I'd imagine when he's writing this, this is the way he's going to say it. I have plucked you out of the dominion of darkness and transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved son. What power on this earth can do that for you if not the power of God? What power on this earth can deliver you from your sin and death, right? God is our deliverer. He has plucked you out. What you couldn't do for yourself, what you had no power in yourself, what you couldn't choose for yourself, you know what he did? He put his spirit in you so your eyes would be open, your mind would understand, and your heart would receive what God has done. And then you can in return say, you are my deliverer and strength. There's no other religion that can do that. No other religion that can save you. That's the power of knowing God, that you in return can be grateful. What else can we be grateful for? I love the last part. Knowing God makes us grateful for God's grace and mercy. What echoes in verse 14 is this idea, right? This redeeming idea, it's an Old Testament idea, is this idea, this is the idea, that God bought you with a price. It costed him something to buy you back. That's the idea. That's grace and mercy, right? The grace is that he went to go buy you. He went to go buy you. How did he buy you? He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. And what happens? Sin and death are left, I forget the word, but they're they're left powerless. There we go. I forgot the word. So he ransoms you back. And then he gives you mercy, forgiveness of sin. You know what he says? He says, I, now that I paid the price on your behalf, I'm going to ransom you back. But guess what I'm going to do too? I'm not going to hold it against you that you sinned against me. I'm going to give you mercy. So when you come to me, when I draw you to myself and I transfer you into the kingdom of my beloved son, you are free to live the life in my son Jesus, and I will never hold the sin against you. That's the power of the cross. That's the power of knowing him, that after he's purchased you, he doesn't hold what you did before against you. That's grace and mercy. That's grace and mercy. My question for you this morning is, Do you know God? Let me tell you something. I'm not talking about knowing him with just the words on the page. I'm talking about with your heart and your mind and your actions. I'm talking about knowing him that when you wake up in the morning, all you can do, all you can say to God is, God, I need you, and I'm trusting you for today. I don't know about tomorrow, but I know you're faithful to do what I cannot do today. That is like knowing God. That's like knowing him intimately, not trusting in your own abilities, not trusting in your family and your name, not in your finances, not in your skill sets. It's trusting in him. To know God is to fully trust him and him alone. Do you know him? Or has your quest, has your pursuit to know God stopped at your knowledge of God? In other words, has your knowledge of God outpaced your relationship with God? Is your relationship with God equal to what you know of him? If your pursuit to know God is limited to what you know about him, That's not knowing him. 
Has your knowledge of God outpaced your love for him? Has your knowledge of God outpaced your obedience for him? Are there areas in your life, in your mind, in your heart, in which you truly don't know him? You know of him, but you don't know him personally. The beauty of knowing God is that the times when we don't behave or think or feel that we know him, the times that we don't really show that we're actually in relationship with him, when you are a true believer in God, the beauty of grace and mercy is that you can screw up and you can come back. And he won't hold it against you. That's the beauty of knowing him, that every time you screw up, you can come back. The door hasn't closed. And guess what? When you come back, you don't have to do anything to, to get yourself back in. You just come back. That's the beauty of knowing him. The beauty of knowing his grace and mercy. The beauty of knowing the presence and power of Jesus Christ. I'm reminded, quickly, and right now, I promise, I'm reminded Maybe. I'm reminded of, the, of, the, of that passage in Revelation, right? Like, what does the beginning of Revelation say to the church in Ephesus? Jesus tells them, you have endured. You have suffered. You have done it greatly. You have done it with great endurance and great patience. I give it to you. But here's the thing I have against you. You've forgotten your first love. See, the intellectual knowledge of just knowing God, oftentimes leads us away from God in a relationship sense. And we've forgotten that first love, right? Remember your first love, right? That you're so excited to be with the person, like you're dying to be with them. You can't spend a day without them. Like when you're around people and you're hanging out with people, you're whispering to each other every second and you're giggling and you're laughing and you're holding hands and, and like you're excited and nervous because the day is coming to an end and you're planning out how you're going to see each other the next day because you cannot stop being with each other. And it makes other people obnoxious, right? They're like, ugh, gross. But, but, that is the love, right? That is your first love of wanting to be with them day in and day out. Have you forgotten your first love? The first love that, that, that echoed and whispered in your ear, I loved you first. To know God is to know him, the person of Jesus. To know God is to be satisfied by him, and yet at the same time, leaving you wanting more of him, not just his hand, but his face. You want to spend time with him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we have your word and your word is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword and that your word is power to us. But God, we ask that your word in scripture not only be just words, but that would lead us to a deep, intimate relationship with you. God, we want to know you more. So we ask that if we have, in any way, shape, or form, have gone to other things that have substituted our relationship with you, would you help us to come back to you? Would you help us to fall in love again if we've fallen out of love? God, would you help us if... if We've equated love for you is to know you just intellectually. God, would you help us to know your son, Jesus?
We pray this in Christ's name. And the people of God say? You guys are dismissed. There'll be pastors in our prayer team to pray for you if you want to. See you guys next Sunday. This has been a message from the chapel. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about the chapel or any of our campuses, including Akron, Green, Wadsworth, Kenmore, Cuyahoga Falls, Nordonia, and Medina, please go to our website at thechapel.life.